This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Google rents out TPUs. And Crave's financials take a nosedive. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening in to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with Top500.org. I'm Addison Snell. That's Michael Feldman. Michael, This Week in HPC, we've talked a lot about tensor processing units for machine learning. Google's been one of the leaders there. They've got their own processor, and now you can rent their TPUs in the Google Cloud. Right. There are tensor processing units. They've been in their cloud for a while. They've been using it internally for their own uh, machine learning purposes to run a lot of their infrastructure, run a lot of their services, and also to do some interesting products like AlphaGo and others. Um, But now they've got a beta program put together where they're going to rent them in the public cloud for people who want to do machine learning on their own. So this is sort of the first time they're doing it, although when they announced their their second generation TPUs back last year, they also had them in a very limited availability to researchers. But now this is a much wider availability. They're going to let people apply for them and use them for whatever purpose, commercial or otherwise, that they want to use them for. So it's a, sort of a new era for the, for this and, a, and sort of a uh, one of the first ways that uh, NVIDIA is going to have some competition in uh, machine learning in in other clouds that uh, they've spread across the different public clouds across the the world. Yeah, this is an interesting story. Although I don't think Nvidia has much cause for concern just yet, or any of the competing processing mm-hmm. elements. When not yet, anyway, when Google mm-hmm. first, uh, when we first learned that they had TPUs under development internally, we theorized at the time to what extent these were going to be just internal parts, and to what extent they really intended to become processor vendors where these things would be for for sale or for rent through their cloud. And I don't think Google really intends to enter the processor game in terms of making this be a revenue product beyond their own use. Now, I think they've got them and they can be opportunistic. Certainly, they get a lot of researchers out there who are interested in how their applications can work with TPUs. But just from a competitive nature, you know, if I'm if I'm someone who's interested in TPUs, this is the one place I can get it. It doesn't have to be priced competitively. It's not part of the general market. It's more of a novelty at this point. I suppose the most you could say for it in terms of the market dynamic is that it does let Google test out in the market to what extent there's an appetite for these things. And if that appetite is large and they find a big use case, then sure, they could decide to go into the processor game. But that would be a very different business model compared to where all their revenue is coming from right now. Yeah, I agree. I don't I don't think they're interested in selling the processors. At this point, I think you're right. They're, they're gauging the market for – this custom uh, this custom ASIC that they've built for machine learning. Now, it's a little bit confusing, though. You know, Google also offers GPUs for machine learning in their cloud. They haven't got the latest NVIDIA one, the V100, yet, but they have the K80s out there. They've got the, the Pascal-era P100s uh, for rent as well. And so by offering the TPU, in a, in a sense, they're sort of competing against themselves. Now, they, they've priced it quite high, for the time being, and uh, that sort of makes sense. Nobody else can offer this particular capability, and it is a a powerful board. It offers 180 teraflops peak per per board, but um, 
the overall long-term strategy is a little fuzzy to me because if they're going to continue to offer GPUs, then they have to figure out a way to sort of uh, differentiate a TPU offering from a GPU offering. And that that is not clear from anything they've said uh, with this announcement or to date. Yeah, that's among the reasons why I don't think this is a serious competitive push into offering this as a, as a long-term strategy. I think it's more on the opportunistic side. It's something they have. It's something that other researchers are interested in, in what's really a, a, a nascent field right now. So why not? If, if they can set the bar pretty high such that only people who are serious about figuring out how to use TPUs for machine learning are going to come in, Google might even be able to learn something out of that process help their own internal development by watching how other people use TPUs. But I don't see this really replacing the other offerings in this space in terms of it being a, a competitor to GPUs or any other offering. Not right now. No, I think I would agree with you. I mean, they in their, their announcement, uh, they said you can train a ResNet 50 model, for example, for, for image recognition uh, in, in less than a day for under $200, which is a, a nice feat. Um, but as, as uh, actually Carl Freund at More Insights and Strategy pointed out in a Forbes article, you can actually do that even cheaper with a V100 on the Amazon cloud. Now, Google doesn't offer V100s yet, as I said, but the Amazon does, and it's priced them at a, at, at a certain level, like something like $3 a, an hour. and Using that same Res 50 model, you can do that for about forty dollars less than what Google is is saying that uh, you can do with the with the TPU. So, um, if that's the case and that holds up, then that's that's not going to be competitive even to uh, what's now a, a year old GPU in the V100. So going forward, it seems like if, if Google really wants to compete in this space, especially with the other cloud providers, it's going to have to make its TPU more cost effective in some way. Um, otherwise, it's they're just generating some interest. And like you said, maybe seeing how other users can maybe uh, utilize this, this silicon they've developed. Yeah, I mean, it's a nice analysis that Carl does with that. And that's not the sort of uh, pricing analysis we typically do at Intersect 360 Research. So Carl does a nice job with that. But I think it just underlines the point that we were making here, that this isn't really priced to be a competitive offering where they're trying to steal share from other types of processor elements. I think this is mostly interesting in terms of research because this AI field is is really quite young. There's a lot that's going to be going on there. And if you open it up to researchers to bid on the availability to use these TPUs, who knows, maybe they strike on some new algorithmic approach to their deep neural networks that, that really does revolutionize uh, or or move forward AI in some material aspect. That's not really about trying to take business away from GPUs, but it does push the envelope in terms of where we can go with AI. Yeah, and I think it also sort of points to the difficulty of maybe other vendors in building these uh, machine learning specific chips for this purpose and how they're going to be able to challenge uh GPUs that have been established in this space for a while, it, it's not going to be a slam dunk that everything you produce just because it's AI or machine learning specific is going to be more 
price competitive than what's out there, uh, it's going to be an uphill battle. Now, this is just one example. So not every all of these chips that are in the pipeline um, that we've talked about at various times are going to be the same. But it's I guess I guess you could say there's there's no free lunch here. I mean, you have to do this matrix math if you're going to do it in the same way, similar to what everybody's doing. Um, you're not going to unless you have some uh, different way of doing that that's uh, sort of an order of magnitude different than what everybody else has implemented. Uh, it, it's going to be difficult to compete with sort of established uh, processors. Well, right. Uh, let's keep in mind that it's not like GPUs just showed up last year when people were talking about machine learning and AI. This has been a, a decade-plus-long saga of building a groundswell of support for GPU computing through uh, CUDA and GPU universities and all of the effort that NVIDIA has put into building that ecosystem for about 12 years now. And that's the kind of thing you need to do if you're going to introduce a new architecture. This isn't something that you can have an 18-month plan for and say that's going to, to build out a complete ecosystem. So in as much as GPU's got a huge uh, push or boost from artificial intelligence, uh, it, it's uh, they already were in the right place at the right time when that market dynamic took off, and that's you know not even to discount other types of processing, even even just standard x86 processors to the extent that they keep having improvements on an ongoing basis. Uh, if if you're going to go into a competition in the processor space, maintaining a pace of development that keeps up with companies like Intel or NVIDIA or AMD, it's just very difficult. I mean, this is what these companies do. They pour out new chips that make applications run faster. So I, I take a somewhat longer view to these things as opposed to what's running this quarter or this year uh, in terms of thinking of what this will look like. Is it possible? We'll, we'll see a lot more TPUs five years out. Sure, but that has a lot more to do with th – there's a lot more to do with that than just having them available on the cloud and letting people come get them. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, Michael. Also this week in HPC, uh, we don't do a whole lot of quarterly or annual reporting uh, on this podcast, but among the companies we look at, Cray is always interesting because they're exclusive to this supercomputer space. They have a brand that essentially means supercomputers and often get viewed as a bellwether for this space. It's a company that had a major turnaround and been turning in profits ever since 2010. But now, 2017, they put the clothes on their books, and uh, that trend has been reversed in a major way. Yeah, I mean, this year was one of the worst year they've had in, in quite a few years. They lost uh, 130, almost $134 million in net loss this year. And their revenue really took a beating as well, down to $392 million, which was off from what they've had in the past several years. So all told, a bad year for for Cray um, in on many different aspects, and it's been uh, like you said, it's it's been an upward path since uh, since about 2010, since the beginning of the decade till now. But all of a sudden, they've turned in a, a really uh, poor showing. Now, the most important thing in looking at that loss, I think the 133.8 million dollar loss, most of that comes from a little bit of an accounting uh, snafu where the new U.S. tax law, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, as you point out in your article on top500.org, 
many companies, not only Cray, but many companies take advantage of uh, an opportunity to repatriate foreign profits at a one-time low corporate tax rate. Cray, like many companies, has done that, and they took a hit to their bottom line of $108 million in costs. So the majority of that loss comes from uh, that repatriation of funds. But that still leaves a net loss of $30 million, which isn't nothing. And as you pointed out, the revenue was well off where it had been in 2016. So in as much as it's not as bad as it as it looks immediately, it's still bad. I mean, you can't just hide behind the one thing. There's, there's no getting around the fact that the revenue uh, did take a beating. Yeah. And, and, you know, Peter Angaro talked to investors about this on the investor call. He, he named some things he thought was, was contributing to this. And it wasn't any one factor, but he talked about things we've, we've mentioned in the past. The government funding environment has been very unreliable, not just in the U.S., but in other places over the past few years. And that sort of interrupted the pipeline. Uh, and it sort of came to fruition this year. Um, there's an increase in memory costs, which has happened more recently, but that's impacting people uh, building and deploying systems. There's actually, he also mentioned the slowdown in the improvement in processors. And that's sort of a thing that's sort of subtle. When, when processors don't improve from year to year at the rate that people are used to, it, it causes them to delay future systems. And that's another thing he pointed to, that there's a lot of systems out there that are sort of beyond their typical uh, four-year lifespan, especially for these high-end supercomputing systems. And again, that slows the pipeline down. It's made everything sluggish. Um, so this sort of like this perfect storm that came together with these different aspects. And uh, it sort of came together this year. Um, now, some of these things are going to continue, but some aren't. And Overall, uh, Angaro and, and Cray think that they're going to start to pick up the pace in 2018 this year and start to grow again as some of these things like government funding is going to be uh, a little bit more settled and, and some of the other new processes are coming to the fore as well. Uh, there's a little more excitement and then he points to the long-term opportunity in Exascale further down the road that he thinks is going to drive Cray growth uh, in the long term, and I think he's pretty accurate there. Cray's in a good position in general in supercomputing and certainly for, for the exascale opportunity. Well, out of the different factors that, that Pete mentioned there, I think the one that we could immediately corroborate from the analyst side has been the stagnancy of the uh, high-end supercomputing space, particularly in the public sector. And, you know, if there's one thing about Cray, in, in all these years they've been successful. From our perspective, they didn't really succeed yet in diversifying a lot of their sales to be more reliant on the commercial side of the market. They've still been predominantly reliant on the public sector part of the market, the government and academia. And that's been uh, a very slow growth over the past several years. And we haven't done a final look at 2017 yet, but it could even be down, especially for the high-end supercomputing space. And Cray just feels the effect of that. All of the growth in this industry has been driven by the commercial use cases of HPC. And we've got that forecast out for the next five years as well, where uh, roughly 88% of 
the revenue growth in our current five-year forecast over and above current market levels is coming from the commercial side of the market. Uh, now, it gets better in the later years of that forecast, where, as Pete is talking about, we start getting into exascale, and that starts driving a little more of the growth. But but that public sector supercomputing space, that's been the challenge, and that's Cray's home space. So for those reasons, I don't think Cray really is indicative of the health of the market as the whole. Overall, HPC has been a very healthy market, but the segment where Cray is has been the toughest segment. Right, and I think they, they recognize that as well. They're trying desperately to grow into the commercial space. And in fact, this year, they actually grew in, in dollar amount in their commercial market, and they also grew in, uh, obviously, in their percentage. They're up to 12% of their total revenue this year was now the commercial space. Um, and by growing in the dollar amount, that that would have been a little bit less had they had a more normal year. But it's it's a good sign for them that they're actually growing that part of the market. But 12% is not indicative of the, the breakdown between public and private. Uh, that's uh, that's underrepresented if they were if they were going to be a proxy for the whole space, as you've uh, as you pointed out in your analysis. So, in that sense. Cray would like to do much better in the commercial space, expand their footprint, and be more reliant on that space because, like you said, that's where uh, the the faster growth is going to be going forward. So tough year for Cray, unfortunately. We love Cray. We love to see everybody do well in this space. Over the next couple of months, Intersect 360 Research will be totaling up all of the uh, market sizing and uh, system shares, do another year on the forecast. Those will be coming out to our clients soon. But uh, Interesting stories, Michael, and uh, thanks again. And we'll wrap up this week. We'll come back again next week. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.